workplace misconduct is a huge driving factor of not just share price and what I'll just call kind of like value accretion in an organization, but also retention, people sticking around, right? Recognizing that the company that they work for in many ways is a reflection of who they are and what they stand for. Are you a business leader looking for strategies and tactics to help you navigate leadership and HR challenges as you scale? Each week on While We Were Working, we bring you our 35 plus years of experience doing exactly this for companies just like yours. For more game-changing HR and leadership insights and to connect with us, check us out at whilewewereworking.com. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the While We Were Working show. This is your weekly show for helping you become a better leader of your small business or small team. As always, I'm Joey, the founder of Jumpstart HR and one of the hosts here at the show. Uh, we're joined by Summer Keytron, who is our consulting practice manager at Jumpstart, as well as uh, the dedicated co-host of our show. Summer, how's it going? Joey, it's an amazing day over here. How are you? Listen, it's great. It's springtime. Uh, I think I am getting over the uh, daylight savings adjustment. Uh, so all is well, all is well. We've got a, a pretty fun show today. Uh, we're going to be talking about topics that you need to know. Um, every now and again, we have special shows where we bring on experts that know these topics like the back of their hand. Uh, outside of the HR space, right? So we talk about the consulting piece, but there are other angles to these topics. And we want to make sure that we are your dedicated resource for bringing the right people to have the right conversations about tips and strategies that will improve your business. And so this week, we're talking about background screening and some of the issues that snag bosses when bad bosses have bad boss behavior. And to talk about that, we've got an awesome guest, uh, Ben Monet. Uh, welcome to the show, Ben. Tell everybody who you are, what you do, and uh, get ready to hang out with us for a couple minutes. All right. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Joey, for having me. And hey, everybody, I'm Ben Monet. I'm the CEO and founder at Fama. We're a software company. We help uh, companies identify workplace misconduct via online screening. And yeah, fired up to be here, hang out. Bad business bosses. I, I love it. Was it business bad bosses? Boss bad business? I'm, I'm getting getting all Listen. mixed up already. But but no, I'm excited to be here. And yeah, thanks uh, thanks a lot for having me. And looking forward to uh, participating. Oh man, it, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Um, you're one of the groups that we we look at in the HR tech space of uh, firms that are making a difference uh, in the in the right way. Uh, so it's always good to bring on folks who can share not only their personal story, but talk about some of the topics. So Ben, I know we're kind of putting you on the spot with this, but give us a little bit of insight into your journey and really how you got to, to starting your, your firm. Yeah, sure. Um, so my background, a little bit different, I would say, than the typical kind of HR software leader where, you know, I didn't come out of talent acquisition. I didn't come out of HR. I wasn't really uh, in the industry before starting this company, but Rather, uh, working at software companies and different types of verticals, um, you know, really my background is enterprise software, helping big companies solve tough problems using cloud-based technology. Did it across 
few different companies of ranging sizes, but it was actually one of my early companies where we hired someone who looked great on paper, references, resumes, checked out, um, you know, looked like the right person for the VP of sales role that we were hiring, 110% quota attainment for eight quarters trailing. Again, just looked like the right person for the role. Um, unfortunately, six months into that person's employment, they ended up sexually harassing somebody at the company, which was a horrible experience for her, for the victim, for the business more generally, set off kind of a really negative chain of events that severely impacted the company. Um, after the fact, after this event, we did kind of the postmortem. We said, hey, how did we miss this? Was there anything we could have identified that would have alerted us to, hey, you know, there's a predilection for this sort of behavior, right? And so all over this guy's uh, social media, we saw like pejorative, misogynistic content about women that if we had seen it, we never would have brought him on board. So, you know, it was really experiencing the pain that Fama is solving for today. I think the thing that, you know, we, now many of us know, uh, fast forward, this was more than 10 years ago at this point, but we all know that workplace misconduct presents itself in very different ways now than it did 15 or 20 years ago, right? It's no longer like Literally, as you guys probably know, lie detector tests back in the day, drug tests back in the day before you joined a company. But now workplace misconduct is no longer just about the background check. It's much more, you know, workplace misconduct occurring on social media, on Google and offline news and litigation, you know, that sort of a thing. These hard to uncover, hard to identify data sources. So, yeah, we missed that when we were hiring this person at the company that I was at and, you know, experiencing the pain that you solve for and, and having a really strong uh, why when you're getting through those early days of getting a company off the ground uh, really powered us forward and got us to where we are today. So yeah, I came at this much more from a, hey, I experienced this problem, had anyone else and let's build a software product around it. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, great timing for us to even have this conversation considering that it is uh, Women's History Month and all the conversations that we need to be having about being allies to our uh, colleagues um, around preventing bad boss behavior like uh, sexual harassment and uh, toxic work culture. So uh, we're glad to have you on the show. And I think Summer is going to tee up the, uh, the next segment for uh, while we were working. So Summer, are you ready to rock and roll on uh, hearing Ben's take on this topic? Certainly. And for those of you that are joining our show for the first time, the While We Were Working segment is where we take a look at what's happening in the news, on blogs, anything in the people, leader, business, HR space that we feel is really important for you to know about, but you were likely too busy working, you might have missed it. So this week, we wanted to talk about current trends and background screenings. And I think, Ben, you brought some information to share with us today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, background screening has evolved along the same lines of, you know, where misconduct presents itself, right? Where historically, right, it used to just be the criminal check, the employment, the education verification, really coming out of kind of what I'll call the, the sort of post 9-11 environment, right? You know, pre 9-11, a lot of companies weren't really doing that much background screening, but this, you know, tragic event that happened in our country, you know, more than 20 years ago now, uh, I think really inspired business leaders to start saying, hey, look, who's working for me? Do we know the person who's actually coming into our organization? This sort of safety and security concept permeated, not just, you know, how you get on an airplane and all of that, the micrometers, but also who you work for, right? And, and you know, those sorts of people that are uh, joining your company. So, you know, over the past five, 10 years or so, we've started to see 
changes in the landscape of background screening that again reflect similar types of societal changes, right? Where, you know, identity verification, for example, has become a really hot topic in the world of screening, right? Making sure that this person is who they say they are. But along those same lines, um, online screening has become one of the fastest growing um, and most quickly adopted solutions in the world of background screening today. And again, that's a reflection of where this sort of misconduct presents itself, right? If you look at, you know, some of the HR.com, PBSA surveys, uh, you know, you're starting to see companies start saying, hey, look, yeah, we're going to start adding social media screening to our toolkit, right? As more and more people come online, as more and more people continue to build up these online identities, billions of social media posts coming online every day, Google results, you know, trailing you around like an invisible digital cloud, you know, these online identities, who we are, are now becoming just as sizable, just as deep, just as complex as who we are offline. And so a lot of companies are now saying, okay, how do we wrap our arms around that part of a person's experience, that part of a person's history to make sure that, you know, folks coming into our organization uh, don't have that history of fraud, don't have that history of legal activity, don't have that history of harassing others or, you know, really uh, threatening people, that kind of a thing, right? And so, you know, that's really where, where online screening has come in and how the industry has grown. And I think, you know, you can see sort of the numbers of companies that are doing it. More than 55% of people have not hired someone because of something they found online. 70% of employers, we can send you guys this data afterwards, maybe do it in a follow-up. But, you know, 70% of employers uh, are using social media screening in one form or another uh, to make sure that they find the right person and that, you know, that that right person is going to have the sort of uh, ethics, value orientation, you know, that are really designed for their company. So, yeah, I think you're starting to see just companies sort of rethink about screening as opposed to just this kind of like, you know, thing that we do at the end of the process, things that we have to do because compliance mandates it, and much more around, hey, how can we start thinking about screening as part of our broader retention strategy, right? What does it mean if we were to actually do an intolerance check on every single person at the company? What does it mean to actually identify harassment, threats, those sorts of behaviors with every person coming in, what does that not just mean for our brand and how we're externally perceived, whether it's through our executive team or through customers of the company, but at the same time, what does that mean for just the way that people work together, for the way the culture gets built, right? For the ways that people who come from different places, who look different, different parts of the socioeconomic strata, how those people engage with one another in the workplace, create great outcomes for businesses, and also put it simply, feel like that sense of belonging and connection. You know, we spend a ton of time at work. Like you said, this whole thing while we were working, like we're all working all the time, right? Why not work at a place where, you know, you feel respected, where, you know, folks that you're working with, again, uh, come at that, you know, non-biased kind of perspective of engaging with folks. So yeah, just macro shifts in the industry that I think are reflective of how society has changed over the past few years. Well, thanks for that. And speaking of uh, working, I heard that you're speaking at an upcoming conference. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you'll be speaking about? Yeah, yeah. So uh, PBSA, the 2023 Mid-Year Legislative and Regulatory Conference. So PBSA, Professional Background Screener Association, they have uh, two big events every year. This one is kind of more of like the legislative update, regulatory update. Uh, we're speaking, uh, I think, on the one of the last sessions, 4 p.m. that Tuesday of the conference. So before happy hour, come join us if you're watching, <laughs> if you're going to be there, come say what up, come say you saw me on this video, we'll grab a, a drink together afterwards. But um, yeah, in any event, the topic there is really on that same extended sort of framework of 
how can we think about screening as part of our broader talent management strategy, right? People think about screening as this kind of exclusionary, keeping people out. But the reality is screening is about keeping people in, not just the people that are coming into your organization at that time, but how do we increase retention? People who work with toxic folks in their, in their companies are 54%. There's a Harvard Business School or Harvard University, excuse me, and Cornerstone study from 2016, I believe, that goes deep into the likelihood of people to leave, good people to leave your company in a toxic work environment, right? 54% people are likely to leave a business working with folks that, you know, again, it's not someone likes the color red, other people like the color blue, someone voted for Trump, someone voted for Biden. It's not that level of, you know, alignment and detail. These are the non-negotiables, right? People acting intolerant, threatening, harassing towards others. So the sorts of stuff that most of us would agree, yeah, I don't want to be around, you know, that kind of a thing. I don't want to work, spend my entire life working with folks like that. So, you know, it's really about how can we position screening as this concept of retaining our existing people and using that filter at the front of the funnel to ensure that we're creating not just psychological safety and a safe workplace environment, but at the same time, how we're creating a, you know, company reflective of the values of the people that work there and the values of our customers. So that's what we'll be talking about uh, in so many words come the, the April conference. So. All right, Ben. Yeah, and now you you've you've motivated me to to, to check it out, and uh, you you might see me there. You represent a company, right? You you founded a company. You run a company that actually helps firms yeah. uh, tackle this challenge. Uh, if you could kind of in the next converse piece of the conversation, just chat about how your tool is helping companies solve this this challenge. Sure. Yeah. So I think there's a, a lot of concerns when you say you know it's interesting. Some of our research, like has shown that social media is one of the most distrusted terms for business users, right? Whether I think it was like CEO and corporation were tied for number one and social media is slotted right there in number two. And, you know, there's a history here, right? There's Cambridge Analytica from 2018, right? There's swayed elections, you know, that, you know, real data around that, right? Of external foreign influences coming in and using social media for bad. So, you know, the there's a lot, I think, of concerns around uh, encroaching on a person's privacy, right? Of seeing stuff that you shouldn't see, going down a slippery slope when it comes to going into a person's online presence, going into their personal life and saying, hey, are there any nuggets here that are going to help me make sure I'm hiring the right person? The reality is, is that there are, right? There is a huge amount of identity online, you know, of, of online history. So, you know, Fama, we had to take a very careful approach in this landscape, right? We had to focus on user privacy, candidate privacy, right? We had to make sure that this was consent oriented. We had to make sure that we were only looking at publicly available information, but almost more importantly, we had to like figure out how to deliver these insights, right? Because at the end of the day, to put it simply, hiring managers want to know if someone had said a bunch of racist stuff online, if someone had harassed people, if they have a history of fraud, if you're a CFO being placed at a, at a big company, if you have a history of bankruptcy and you've been bankrupt a bunch of times or you've got a civil fraud case against you, companies want to know about that sort of stuff, right? So, you know, there's this question of like, how do you get at this really valuable data? And then how do you blind yourself to the rest of like the dog pics, the kid pictures, right? You know, the picture of the nachos that you got last weekend. No one cares about that, right? Like have your nachos, right? Enjoy it. So, you know, that was kind of the question that we had when we started the company about eight years ago, which was, we can't score. We're not going to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. We're not going to say Jane's an 88 and John's an 84 and trust us, right? There's no way to do that because these online identities 
are so complex uh, and so detailed and so nuanced. So what we did was said, hey, look, let's get really good at finding the right person online. Let's take a person's resume. Let's be able to find their complete web presence. Let's use automation to filter through that web presence and identify things like intolerance, threats, harassment, right, fraud, illegal activity um, using automation where we can actually pick out the social media posts. We can pick out the Google result, the litigation, the piece of news from years ago that maps to one of those categories that you defined as workplace misconduct. So companies can come in and say, hey, these are the types of workplace misconduct I care about. Check certain boxes, uncheck others, maybe enter in specific keywords related to their business. Say, hey, I want to look at references to my leadership team. Maybe I want to look at references to gambling, you know, whatever you want to do, whatever misconduct looks like to your company, which is the important part, is that we're not the arbiter of who's good or bad. You know, that was a really important thing for us when we built this product. But to say, hey, look, you want to know about the racist tweet, you want to know about the fraud, the illegal activity, we'll find it for you. And should it exist, we'll report it to you in our web-based dashboard. So it's much more, you know, we use the automation to sift through the noise, ensure you don't encroach on a person's privacy, ensure that you don't go down that slippery slope um, and can put yourself in a position to make an objective decision about a person's uh, you know, employment status based on the insights that we provide. Man, Ben, that that was really some great nuggets of information you shared there because you know, when Joey and I are talking about just a wide variety of topics here on the show, we like to take things such as this, like the complexities with the the service that you're providing and, and break it down in a way that our listeners and our viewers see the value of changing their current approach. And I think you hit it really right on the head for me, which is sure, as HR pros or managers, we could go out there and start searching for this stuff too. But there's a lot, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. I think there's a lot of risk in doing so. And while it may seem easy, uh, it could be setting up the company for other other problems. So I appreciate you mentioning mentioning that, and uh, uh, it's really cool to see that your company exists and are providing these services. Because I think about, gosh, 10, 15 years ago, you know, when I was in HR, my boss was like, "Hey, can you go check out this person's, you know, socials to just make sure there's nothing weird on there?" I would yeah. always be like please do not let me find anything because then when you do it's like well now what do you do about it so 100%. Uh, really <laughs> yeah i so mean really sorry cool to interrupt but like uh -huh. yeah think about seeing someone that's like pregnant think about seeing someone that's disabled right and eeo says you can't unsee that information right so there was this always this conflict with our product of like well there's really valuable insight here and it's right there but there's a bunch of stuff that you shouldn't see so there was a compliance factor to your point and also this other element of just the consistency of treating people the same way every single time, running that same scope of check, no matter who you were, if you happen to you know, run a check differently because another person does it, that's bias, right? If you happen to you know, hire an army of associates or interns, train them on the same standards, probably wasting money and slowing down your recruiting process at the same time. So anyway, sorry to interrupt. I just get super passionate about this topic because it's like, <laughs> it's all I think about you no. know, all the time. So, uh, so yeah, I, I'm with you and I appreciate the recognition. You know, it's a super niche area that we are in the fastest emerging area of background screening, but these like elements were so important to get right. There were three or four big decisions we had to make around product development that I think are directly tied to, you know, what I'm thankful for is our success today. So I appreciate it. 
Yeah, th- these are the conversations that we love having on the show. Uh, usually it's, you know, Summer and myself talking about this, but uh, your passion on the topic is great. And it shows that there's probably a follow-up episode that we could do uh, highlighting the Down. importance of ethics. Great. The important of, yeah, the important, importance of ethics when you're utilizing HR tech. Uh, it sounds like you all are proactive in addressing that conversation. So, you know, my, my brain's churning about like, you all are getting it right. You know, you're, you're proactive. Well, you know, there's no secret sauce except hiring the people that look like, you know, the folks that you're serving, right? Like I'm, you mentioned, you know, International Women's Day, you know, I'm proud of the fact that 50% of our management team plus is women, right? That the people that are making product strategy roadmap decisions, more than 50% of those people are women too, right? So if you put the people who are building the product and building the go-to-market strategy who are actually reflective of those goals that you have around inclusion, like it's not much more complex than that. You know, I mean, look, there's a lot more behind the scenes technically of the way to do this right and how to build up you know, funnels, you know, for candidates that are reflective of the communities that you work in and that you serve. But like, it starts with putting your money where your mouth is and hiring people that look like that and making them build the thing, you know, like, that's it, you know, so it's not, not that, that difficult, you know, to, to get to this point, but it's hard for companies, I think, to hire great people, you know, and it's really tough to hire great people. And uh, it's one of the things that we're, you know, excited about that we can do well at Fama, both for our customers and internally. So. Cool beans, man. And if you're if you're checking this out and you want to catch Ben at the uh, PBSA Mid-Year Legislative and Regulatory Conference, uh, we'll drop a link to the conference so that you can check it out. Uh, check out Ben. Ask for his autograph. Anything cool like that. He's officially a he's officially a podcast rock star at this point. So uh, you want to make sure you check him out. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into our next segment. Uh, speaking of complex issues, we've got Consultants Corner. And Consultants Corner is our view from the trenches of the good, bad, and ugly, and all things in between as HR pros helping businesses create better culture. Uh, this week, our spotlight is on nothing else than bad boss behavior. And I think Ben's got a, a great insight into that from his story, which you previously heard, and the tool, FEMA, and, and what it does in helping create retention outcomes and create um, a recruiting strategy, retention strategy that uh, creates more room for good people to do good things. And so our question today is really just to discuss the top two reasons why senior executives get fired. And then what can organizations do to prevent someone uh, or to prevent hiring someone who might go on to exhibit bad boss behavior? So uh, let's tee up um, this article from NPR. And it says that 39% of uh, these 89 CEOs who departed in 2018, which is around the time that this episode or this article was, was researched, they left because of unethical behavior either from sexual misconduct or ethical lapses connected to things like fraud, bribery, insider trading. So Ben, we've got people out here living reckless uh, and it's impacting not only, not only uh, shareholders, not only boards, not only management teams, not only employees, but also the, the uh, consumers, right? Because now more than ever, 
people are voting with their their values or buying with their values and to hear you know a, a ceo of mcdonald's having an inappropriate affair that's going to result in less big mac sold right so could you kind of guide us into this conversation of of sort of really what you're seeing in the trenches as far as executives making these bad choices and how it's impacting sure. organizations yeah absolutely i think the the first thing was it was at least to me kind of a surprise when i saw that research and that was a npr article i think it was like a pwc like ceo report that they run uh every year in the public you think that oh ceos get fired because of poor financial performance right you know they get replaced right just recently you know i'm uh calling in from glendale you know two or three miles from Burbank, Disney headquarters, right? And we know, you know, Bob Iger recently came back in as CEO, largely because Disney, you know, financially wasn't doing what, you know, its shareholders thought it should be doing, right? And so I think in the general populace, as most people think, yeah, CEOs get replaced when their companies don't do well. And as you called out, that was reason number two. But workplace misconduct, reason number one, you know, that I think has been something that we've seen for years now. You know, it's something that we knew and, and have kind of built our company around where now this kind of varies, I think, depending upon your view of an organization, but let's talk about a vertical organization as opposed to a flatter company, right? Where you do have, you know, the ethics, the values, the uh, way forward, which comes from the top down, right? Which bleeds into the rest of the organization, just simply the way that senior leaders talk to their VPs, the way that VPs then engage with the directors and on down into the organization, that's power every moment, you know, that power, that leadership that comes through in that communication is in many ways an example for the other people in that organization, right? I'm not talking about something that's complex or unheard of. You know, that's what I think most people see in very vertical organizations, small startups, you know, maybe it's a little bit different where it's, you know, one, you know, leader and then a whole bunch of VPs under them, that kind of a thing. But in general, you know, when you think about company performance, yeah, workplace misconduct, is a huge driving factor of not just share price and what I'll just call kind of like value accretion in an organization, but also retention, people sticking around, right? Recognizing that the company that they work for in many ways is a reflection of who they are and what they stand for and what their values are. And especially in a tight labor market, right? If you're in a position where you're having people leave a company because of the actions of a CEO, because they know they can go around the corner and get a job at you know, Schmaz Tech Incorporated, their big competitor, then they're going to go do that, right? And so, you know, when it comes to workplace misconduct, when it comes to executive behavior, you know, it's one of these things where it's been a real challenge to identify such misconduct and where it exists. And I think that has been kind of the easy way out in many ways for a lot of companies to say, yeah, well, how are we going to know that this guy was going to harass somebody? How are we really going to know that you know, they would lead us down this path of fraud. How are we really, you know, it, it's tough to know, right? You know, can I swear on this podcast, by the way? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Stuff, happen, <laughs> stuff happens, you know, right? Like that was kind of the mentality, I think, for a lot of boards. But now it's, you know, that, that article you quoted us from 2018, but just this week, two days ago, an article came out from the SEC that says they're now beginning to enforce legislation on workplace misconduct and holding companies accountable the SEC for workplace misconduct and not having the controls in place to get those things in check inside of a company because with technology, it is easier 
to identify this workplace misconduct, right? These results are out there and we call it in our industry kind of the standard of care, right? What is the minimum amount of check that we should all pursue? What is the minimum amount of spend? How can we cover risk in a cost-effective way, you know, essentially? How do we identify this risk without breaking the bank? And can enough people afford it? Can enough people get it that this should become, you know, the new standard, right? So that's really where, uh, you know, this uh, where this comes from, which is to say, like, for so long, I think companies have been able to ignore this because, hey, how do we track it down? It's not our responsibility. We, we can't do anything about it, right? But now I think technology has gotten to a point where companies can identify this sort of misconduct. They can take action on it. They can put the tools in place to identify it early. And this isn't just for, you know, management teams and screening when it comes to hiring, but now you have investors who are putting money into management teams and leadership teams, whether it's asset managers, private equity funds, et cetera, you know, they're going to have to start looking at this sort of workplace misconduct as a function of the types of companies that they back. So yeah, I, I think it's just a really interesting time that we're in the SEC article, you know, coming out in JD Supra just this past week was a testament to the fact that, yeah, you know, now this is being enforced by some of the highest levels of government and the government specifically you know, the parts of the government that regulate the way business gets done in the United States. So, so quick question for you. Uh, you know, I reflect back on, you know, earlier years of HR and just background checks in general. And before records were as digitized as they are now, background checks were a little more complicated because it, you know, it typically involved a very manual process. And right, so, right. you know, fast forward to where there's a lot of just general background check companies now and much of it's digitized. And so, you know, kind of speaking, speaking about what you, you were just saying, you know, kind of that obligation on um, that duty of care for like standard background checks certainly were there, right? It's really easy. It's inexpensive. You know, based on uh, this, this information from the SEC, I'm curious your thoughts. Do you see us going in a direction where also performing the background checks on the social profiles is going to become as common as standard background checks now? And if the answer is yes, how soon do you think we're going to get there? Ah, uh, the big question. Yeah, you know, look, I, I, I come at this from obviously a biased perspective as the leader of the world's largest online screening company. So, so take what I'm about to say with, with, with a grain of salt. Like I got, I got a horse in this race. So that, that's my point. But, um, you know, if you look at, again, taking a step back at the industry, right? You're, you're totally right. Back, you know, not even that long ago, like 10 years ago, not really, not that long ago, uh, good amount of these records were not digitized, right? A good amount of these records required a courthouse runner to go to the courthouse, do a decimal system, look up a person's record based on the information that was written on a piece of paper that was faxed to the background screening company, faxed again to the courthouse running third party that does the work, found, brought back, mailed, sent to the company, and then sent, you know, back to the uh, employee if there, or the candidate, there was a hit and they need to see a copy of the background check. So in any event, the industry has come a long way. And I think now you're starting to see, you're right, the commoditization of the core background check, um, the national criminal check, you know, the education, the employment verification, the drug test, right? Um, but the shift to online screening, the shift to 
leveraging online identity, I think is really a function of where the risk lies and where it presents itself. And from our perspective, it is unarguable that online identity is becoming a bigger thing. It is unarguable. You can look at the data, the amount of social media posts every day, the amount of new people, not just in the United States, but worldwide who are coming online, the people that have a high-speed internet connection, the lowering the cost of access to Google, to Facebook, to the internet globally, right? Whether it's internet satellites from Elon Musk or simply installing, you know, uh, uh, high-speed internet connections throughout parts of the United States, which as many people know, don't have fast internet still to this day in 2023, right? You start to get to a point where these online identities may very well become more material and bigger than who we are offline, right? And then when it comes to managing risk, that concept and that idea paired with, I think, a, a more societal focus on this value orientation, right? On companies being treated less like companies and more like entities, right? More like a Mother Teresa type thing, you know, that you're expecting from the company that you buy from. That kind of value orientation, I think, for both building a great culture and attracting new employees or building a great brand and attracting more customers um, is really going to be a function of a lot of this kind of uh, intelligence that you can get on people. So how long will it take? You know, what's necessary for it to happen? I think, you know, we are at a moment where there is a, a just shift generally in how people think about risk within their organization and where to look. I would say, you know, by 2025 or so, this will be the norm. This will be standard. This will be talked about just like a background check. And, you know, you can look at, I think, the, the market research that we've done internally, the, the market research that's out there. Awareness of what online screening is across industries is about 72 to 75%, meaning that 75%-ish of people are either very familiar or somewhat familiar with what online screening is and the value that it provides. But what's interesting is that the adoption rates, there is this whole world of overcoming uh, the ability to not go down that slippery slope, to not encroach on a person's privacy. So I think as it becomes more of the norm and as folks at conferences, on podcasts, on uh, you know just the break room at the companies that they work for, start talking about this and saying, actually, you don't have to go down that slippery slope. You don't have to encroach on a person's privacy. I think there's much more of like a, not an awareness problem at this point, but kind of a education problem for, you know, that set of potential buyers and users that uh, maybe uh, need to be educated on, hey, how, how this actually works, you know, and, and, you know, having real examples from clients that are doing it and the value that they're seeing, and why they're signing up, you know, to, to be told more broadly. So, yeah, I, I think it's much more of a, a shift in so far as how we consider what's important about, uh, you know, hiring people. And I think there are strong tailwinds in the market too, that are pushing us in that direction. So long way of saying, I hope soon, I hope soon. It should be very soon. Uh, cause I, I have a story to tell and, um, I feel like it's a little bit of like in news, they say, don't bury the lead. But, um, I was talking to a friend one time and they were so frustrated that they had been passed over for a management opportunity. Uh, in, a, in a retail setting, um, which, as you know, that's a, a pretty competitive environment. Sometimes there's higher turnover, but it's still still very competitive. Uh, they were so upset that they were passed over for this this manager store manager position, um, and uh, they were the most influential person on the on the team. 
But what what this person found is that the individual that was recruited to join the company, uh, actually, there were court cases out there that they had defrauded uh, another institution uh, because they had a, a a store that they were running and it turned out to be fraudulent. Uh, so the court cases were out there. The store uh, website is out there. The um, you know news articles, publications, etc., were out there. I mean, back in that day, all it would have taken was a Google search. But it but it sounds like your tool could have sniffed that out and maybe prevented this uh, person who had committed fraud before in a retail setting from um, maybe not from ultimately being fired, uh, being hired. Because who knows? To your point. You're not here to present who's right or wrong, but maybe more information to help give context to who this person is and how they might operate. Uh, but what happened is that person didn't turn out to be a great boss. And a lot of people left that retail environment because the organization didn't do anything about what was found. And the organization uh, kept this person on board, even though they were a terrible manager. So kind of um, like a parting thoughts of like, this is a very real thing. It's happening in all spaces. Uh, bad bosses doing bad behavior and, and bad bosses carrying bad behavior from one place to another. Um, but kind of as we close out, Ben, um, like where can people find you? Where can people find FEMA? Um, what are you, how would you want to tie a bow on this episode so that we really drive the point home that online presence is incredibly important for uh, retention and uh, selection. Yeah, sure. So, you know, as far as, you know, tying it, uh, well, I guess I'll start with how to find us. So you can go to fama.io, uh, you know, that's our website. You can learn more about us there. We've got a bunch of case studies and industry specific content. Um, you can always connect with me too on LinkedIn. I try to be pretty active there when my favorite social network. So yeah, find me Ben Monis uh, on on LinkedIn. That would be a great place to connect. Um, feel free to shoot me a message, or uh, yeah, just send a connection request. I'm always up for building my network. Um, and yeah, you know, we'll be at the legislative conference for PBSA. We're going to have some folks at Unleash uh, as well. You know, which I think is just like a week or two later um, at the end of April. So you can find the Fama booth there. Um, and we'll be at like Sherm and HR Tech as well. So we'll be at uh, all the industry events uh, this year. And as far as closing thoughts, you know, I, I think you kind of, Joey, hit the nail on the head. Um, if I could leave you with one thing, it's that workplace misconduct presents itself in very different ways in 2023 than it did 10 or 15 years ago. And I'd ask everyone listening, do you have the tools, the technique, the process, et cetera, to help identify that, to help you build a great company and hire great people? Because that's what this is all about. It's not that complicated. We just want to make hiring great people easy. And we think you can do it via online screening. So that would be uh, my, my parting message. And thank you guys so much for having me on. It was really fun uh, talking and sort of digging into some of these fun topics that I'm normally just talking to myself about. So it's really great uh, <laughs> talking to others who are also interested. So, Well, you've got a crew over here at Jumpstart who is, uh, we're fans of your work, fans of the impact you're having in the space. And, uh, you know, that, that goal of 2025, uh, I hope it comes a lot quicker. Um, but it's been great chatting with you and uh, summer as always. So make sure if you like this episode, give it a five-star review wherever you get your, your podcast. Check us out for the, the detailed conversations on YouTube as well. 
and uh, check out our website whilewewereworking.com for a uh, past catalog of episodes. So till next time, have a great week. Thanks. Bye. For more HR strategies that will take your company to the next level, visit whilewewereworking.com.